Miguel, this is Kiko, Kiko Laredo, and uh, you're listening to Focus on Metal. All right, Metalheads, welcome to another edition of Focus on Metal. Scott here. And Richie. And uh, back with uh, with an author this week. Mm-hmm. Just got off the phone with him, too. Yep, yep, because it was a second try at it, but uh, gra- glad that uh, he was uh, just really willing to schedule another time slot for us and uh, gave just an absolutely fantastic interview. But uh, anyways, uh, the guy we talked to, the guy you'll be hearing from this week is uh, Graham Thompson. Yeah. No relation. Wrote an amazing <laughs> book, um, Cowboy Song. Yeah. Uh, authorized biography of Phil Linus. Um Amazing read. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he's done books by uh, on George Harrison and Kate Bush. And um, I think it was in Classic Rock magazine, I think a, mo- a couple of months ago, they reviewed it. Uh-huh. And straight away, I was like, you know, the radar went up and getting him. Yeah. And um, I went through the publicist who hooked us up with Graham. And they sent me the book, and I read the book, and you read the book. Yeah. The book's amazing. It, it's an it is an awesome, awesome book. It really is. I don't think we've been as excited to talk to someone for a while. I think this one just came from left field. Yeah, well, I mean, we're way. always happy to talk to Joel. We're oh yeah, always happy to talk to Martin. But we've and, talked to we've you know at this stage we're friends with Martin and yeah. we've, we're friends with Joel. This yeah. is someone that uh, I've never read a book by Graham. Um, I don't know if you you, no, you had I either. Um, his books have been reviewed very favorably, yeah. um, and there's been a lot of books out out there about Phil. Um, Martin's done books on Lizzie. I, I remember years ago reading The Rocker by Mark uh, Puddiford. Yeah, well, yeah, Martin did the two volume on Lizzie. Three volume. Was it three? Yeah, oh, yeah, I have them all. But Is that it three? Yeah, but that was um, he's looking behind him now. Yeah, it's three. Uh, but that was more about the albums and the songs. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is about yeah, fighting. Yeah, yeah, we will be strong, and then it's getting dangerous. Yeah, yeah right. and uh, <laughs> but this is about Phil the man. Yeah, yeah, and is a, a, a tremendous amount of detail about him. He's up. The, the first third of the book is pre Lizzie, really. Yeah, and it's all about him as as a child and yeah. what he went through and living with his grandparents and uh, as someone who's from Ireland. Um, and who knows the areas he grew up in, uh, it was, you know, and I actually mentioned this to Graham in the interview, it was great to be able to join all the dots about all of that because yeah. he was he, he was telling of, of where he came from and right. what his upbringing was like and I was like, I can relate to that and I, I know where that where he lived, I, uh-huh. know, I know where he moved to and it was just really, really good for well, me. Well, the other part on it too, and we didn't really touch on it in particular with Graham was the fact that, that, that uh, you know, I grew up in America and I mean, I didn't think that like the culture and the outlook in Ireland was like that different. Oh, it was way different. But the fact that like, I have a much clearer picture now, like an amazing picture Mm. of of it now um, that, uh, and that's just, uh, that says a lot about a book when you come away with like, wow, like now really starting to get a much clearer idea about a lot of things. Yeah, well, in Ireland in the 70s and 80s, um, 99.9% of the people were white. Yeah. No, we weren't all red hair and freckles <laughs> like a lot of Americans think, but nearly everybody was white. Yeah. Uh, it's not like that now because, you know, everybody's moving around now yeah. and it's a lot freer to move around. But at the time, it was Phil, I can definitely say, from experience, Phil stood out. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, that would you know that would have been tough on him. And Graham gets into that a bit, um, but it also got him noticed. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, you know, years ago I, I worked with a, uh, a a guy who was uh, he was from Cambodia, and he had always talked about the fact that um, you know when they when the Vietnam War happened and stuff, and and when there were American troops in Cambodia, that like his first time that he ever saw a black guy. Like anybody in his village ever saw a black guy, and I—that's what I thought about when Graham was talking about the fact of how Phil was already like 
something different already uh, as a boy that uh, I just thought back to, to, to uh, that, that guy just talking about that and how, like, everyone was like, wow. Just, you know, so, uh, yeah, he just painted the same kind of vivid picture. Yeah, and the other thing we talked with Graham about was the research he did on this is so comprehensive. Crazy. It's crazy um, He has people from all aspects of his life. Yeah. Um, and it's not a fan book by any stretch of the imagination. No. The only thing I will say, and I actually didn't talk to Graham about this, he gives his, he's very honest about the music himself. Yeah. He's critical about it. I think... He has a tremendous amount of admiration for even the pre-Robertson Gorham era of Lizzie. Uh-huh. I think he really has a, sen- a great sense of, I think he got a real sense of joy from the first three Lizzie albums uh-huh. around the Whiskey in the Jar period. Yeah. And I think as time went on, he got he's a bit more critical of the output, even though a lot of people might prefer the material. Yeah. Um, in a way that that's to me, it's like Mick Wall's books. Mick Wall is the same. He'll he'll tell the story, yeah. But he's not afraid to say that I didn't like this album and yeah. I didn't like these songs. Yeah. Well, even Joel will throw that out. Yeah. True. You know? true. Joel's pretty pretty straightforward as well. You know where he stands on stuff. Yeah, but I like books like that. Yeah. Um, I to get you thinking. Uh-huh. I like a guy who doesn't say, "Oh, he was fa- everything was fantastic." Yeah. Oh, everything he did was like amazing. Yeah. Um, because it isn't right. <laughs> and I like that. Yep. And and Graham was really good at, at, at you know fleshing out the story, the stuff in the book that uh, well not there's a lot of stuff in the book I didn't yeah. know about him. Yeah. Um. And it's you know it's an authorized book that really has the upside to it, and it has all the dark side to it as well. And I think that was very important for Graham to get all that in there. Yeah. That it's not a fanboy book by any stretch of the no, imagination. No, not at all. Um. Good stuff. So, um, what do you say we, uh, I don't know, why don't we roll a Lizzie track and we'll get into our, uh, our talk with Graham Thompson about uh, Cowboy Song, sure. the authorized biography of Philip Linnut. Mm-hmm. Let's just dive into the book, um, Cowboy Song. Um, amazing book. Uh, so who approached you to write it, and, and when did they approach you? Well, nobody approached me, actually. I, I did the approaching. Um, I felt that there was a really interesting and kind of in-depth and meaty book to be written about Philip. And, um, you know, I was aware that his 
his family in terms of his his wife and his children hadn't hadn't cooperated or contributed to anything in the past. So uh, I actually wrote to Caroline, who was his wife at the time that he died, and and kind of outlined what I wanted to do, and um, she responded positively, and we had, we had chats about it, and and we went ahead, you know, and it was very important for me that even though it's an, an authorised book, that I was allowed to, or I was able to, you know, tell the unvarnished truth and really approach it in a very honest way, mm. because I think you have to do that, you know, there's no point in doing a whitewash about someone who's as interesting as Philip, so, and she was she was very good at that, you know, she, she absolutely agreed that it had to be done um, in that manner, and so we took it from there, um, and I was really, you know, really delighted that, that the family and the estate were, were behind it all the way. Yeah, and, and I have to say that the way you balanced the book was absolutely fantastic. The fact that you just had like, the right balance of the actual human story of Phil, mm. as well as uh, it had enough content in there for like all of the music fans as well. So if you like biographies, it was a great book to just read as a biography. And if you're a fan of, of music bios, it read equally well for that. So extremely, extremely well done. Well, thank you. That's really kind, and that, that's really nice to hear because that's what I—that's what I wanted to set out to do. Really, I, I did want it to read as an entire life. You know, he obviously Thin Lizzy is the entry point for most people to fill line it, but he had a really interesting life around that and before that and during it and after it. So I wanted to make sure there was a really rounded human being at the centre of the book. At the same time, of course, you know, we know all these great albums and great songs by by Lizzy, and that's. That's probably why we were first interested in, in in Philip in the first place. So of course you have to do justice to that as well. So it really was about trying to get those two things in in tandem and make sure that you had the life and you also had the work. Yeah, and, and definitely, you know, again, it's I, I liked how you say that too. That it was, you know, it was Philip the human being because you really bring that out. That it, it isn't just the the rock star, but there's that human being behind, and and you really portray the the struggle of how he dealt with that, and you know, it is kind of how it's not really how he was, you know, to begin with and stuff, too. I think you, you really bring that out and, and uh, showed just how much of, of, a, of a, like a conscious effort he had to make to become that, that kind of that rock persona that he was, as opposed to, like, Philip the Poet. Well, I think that's so true, isn't it, of a lot of rock stars, is that, you know, they have to put on this persona, they have to adopt it, they have to become larger than life in order to, to do that job. You know, it's, it's not something that comes easily to everybody. And, of course, before that, they were somebody else. You know, they, they did have origins that were normal like anybody else. And in order to be a successful rock star, you have to project yourself a hundred times over. And what does that do to someone? What does that do to your head? What does that do to the way you're perceived by other people? And what does it do to the way you see the world as well? And I was very interested in how that affected Philip as he got more famous and he got more into the rock and roll persona and lifestyle and I think it did change him in the end I think he did almost lose track of who he really was or who he had been yeah. back in the early days and he became this kind of cartoon-like figure which is fantastic when you see it on stage but what's that like when he's going home to his wife and children and sitting at the kitchen table and that's very interesting to me yeah yeah and, and, I, and I like the way that it's uh you know how the way you laid it all out too and, and for me like I, I literally read the book in two days so I had wow, great. the whole. I had everything except for the the last section. Like I, it kind of was like, okay, this is a good break point for me. So I had that last section. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna give it an overnight, let it all sink in, and then I was gonna go into that last section. And uh, I thought that was like the perfect way to read the book was was that way. But it was just one of these books where it's just so engrossing that you just you don't want to put it down at all. Well, thank you. That's really, really kind of you. And I'm really glad to hear that. And it, it, it does read as a sort of three-act hmm. play, doesn't it? You know, you've got the, the early sort of optimistic period. You've got the, the, the middle period of great acceleration and achievement and success. And you have got this, you know, pretty downbeat, melancholy last section where everything starts to slide. And um, it struck me that that probably was the best way to present it in, in, in that way, to, to capture the arc. And it's a, it's a classic rock star arc in a way, isn't it? That, yeah. that you know early beginnings and, and the great rise and then the the downfall and uh, he, he conforms to that yeah. sadly in his own life yeah and sadly it doesn't end with the the redemption at the at the end it, it kind of it ends kind of in the worst possible way 
Yeah, I mean, there's been a kind of posthumous redemption in a way. You know, he's become this incredible figure now, this kind of mythic figure in rock and roll. And, and I suppose that's of some comfort and consolation. But no, his life as it was lived ended very sadly. There's no getting away from that. Yeah. Yes. Graham, was it, was it difficult uh, to find uh, people who knew Phil when before Tin Lizzy to, to actually find him and, and talk to him? Because, like... You know, he had he had all these people that he grew up with and he went to school with, and you seem to be able to get these people out of the woodwork that maybe hadn't talked before. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really not that difficult. It's just a question of perseverance and, and being, uh, you know, not taking no for an answer sometimes and just digging around. I mean, it's, it, it's I suppose it's easier now in the internet age. You can find people quite quickly, and of course, once you once you talk to a couple of people, they'll say, oh, have you talked to so-and-so, have you talked to them? And, and it's kind of a, an organic process that spreads its wings and, and there's more and more people available. So um, it's something I think I've done in all my books is always, you know, really try really, really hard to get hold of people, especially in those periods before people are famous because I, I think you learn so much about them um, before they kind of come into the limelight and it's very important, I think, to, to really do the groundwork in that sense so uh, it wasn't too hard and as you know yourself I'm sure you know Ireland's quite still quite a small country Dublin's quite a small town people tend to know each other and uh, you know so and, and they're very very friendly and very helpful so I, I find it easier than a lot of other books I've written to just to kind of get those sort of people on board Yeah it's in, it's interesting for me when I, when I read the book because you started talking about Cromlin and Clontarf and all these places. I lived, yeah. in, I lived in Dublin for 20 years and I was like, I know where that is and I know what Cromlin's <laughs> like and, and I could really like join all the dots in it. Um, did you actually go over there at all and interview any of the people face to face? Yeah, I mean, I've been to Dublin many, many times and it's, I, it's, it's probably the book I've written where I have the most clearest, you know, idea of the geography of it all, you know, and, and that, that late 60s period in, in around Grafton Street and O'Connell Street and those clubs and what was happening then, I had a very, very clear mental image of, of you know, how that all fit together because I, I know it quite well. And even, you know, Crumlin and, as you say, Clontarf and even round about Hoth and Sutton where he lived towards the end of his life, you know, it, it was very, very clear to me and very vivid to me that. And I think that, that does really help when you can get a sense of the, of the person you're writing about really walking those streets and going to those places and doing those things. And, I've been really pleased. A lot of pe- a lot of Irish people, a lot of people who are in the book, and a lot of people who have read the book and reviewed the book have said it's, it's it conjures quite vividly that period in the sixties and the eighties, I think, in Ireland um, and in Dublin particularly, and that's really nice to hear because that's part of what you're trying to do as a biographer is really is capture the time and the scene as well as the person. Yeah, well, I for someone who like I was born in seventy one, so for someone who actually grew up then, I can yeah. I can like relate to. You know what you're saying in the book about Phil being like standing out because he's the only black man in in the area. That that was definitely true for me as well. I didn't see many black people living in Ireland at the time either. So someone like that would have definitely stood out. I think that's really interesting, isn't it? And, and, and I try and say that in the book is that he was he was like a celebrity even before he opened his mouth to sing. He was someone who was a figure of fascination almost as soon as he arrived in Ireland. So it's all about that as well, your self-image and how that affects you. And, you know, not a lot of racism, as far as I'm aware. People talked about him being accepted very easily, but he was certainly someone who stood out with a bit of a novelty. And I think that affected the way he saw himself. Right, yeah. And, you know, it was when when Richie had... uh first started talking about the book and he was talking about the fact that he could you know visualize everything that that you had in the book and he was so familiar with the places i was actually kind of jealous because i was you know back with like the joe perry biography so i grew up around boston so everything joe talked about i I, like i could visualize all of it and i was thinking oh i'm just like i'm not going to get as as great an experience reading it but you did such an amazing job of really describing you know how the areas were and, and how they were laid out and the atmosphere and all of that 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 I actually didn't feel like like cheated by not having the experience that you you really were able to create a really vivid picture for the reader to kind of get as much of an experience as they possibly could so uh, well done on that aspect oh well, thank you that's it, it, that's really again really nice to hear and it is I mean, when you're writing about you you're living it you know you do sort of step into that time as a, and that's very much my experience is that you feel that you're in there and and you try and describe it 
as best you can. And I, and I felt very strongly the atmosphere of that time. And when you speak to a lot of people who are around there and you gather their experiences and their their descriptions of, uh, and hopefully that does then transmit itself to the reader. And, and if it has, then I'm delighted because it, it is a big part of, I think, capturing the essence of someone is capturing where they were and what they were doing at that time. Their life out in black and white. They're living out a technicolor dream. Next day they're a star overnight. Not like in New York. Man, it's tougher. Not like in London town. Boy, you suffer. Nobody give a break. Strutting down the boulevard Trying to make a pass Not like in New York It's high-rise, it's concrete and complex Not like in old London town It rings down on its subjects The other thing that I loved about the book, Graham, was the third act when you described his like descent and then finally his demise. Um, it was pretty stark what happened to him. He really was a shell of the man he used to be after he got into the drugs big time. Yeah, and it was that was hard to write. And um, again, I have to, you know, I have to take my hat off to Caroline and his family who, you know, it was very difficult for them to relive that and to read it. But but they, they were quite unflinching in. in recognizing that that's kind of how it had to be written um it's very easy to glorify rock stars when they they, they live fast and die young um and i was very keen not to do that i think you know the reality of it is pretty stark and pretty grim um you have a man with a wife and two young children you know it's it's, it's incredibly sad and when what happened to him somebody who was so full of life and so vibrant and so had so much more to offer. You know, he was only 36 when he died. There was so much more he could have done. So there's no real escaping from that. And I, I do recognize it's quite a tough read, but I think it had to be had to be done that way. And I'm pleased that, that it, you know, to, you, you honor him when he's when he's doing amazing things and, and everything's high. And, and I think you have, to, you have to bring the same kind of clear eye and honesty to when things aren't going so well. You had some, uh, just some really great pictures in the book as well. Was it, was it uh, hard collecting a lot of those? I mean, especially some of the early stuff where you really got uh, a much better sense of, of him as a child and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's always quite tricky. I mean, people were very generous again. And, and going back to what we said about speaking to people who he was at school with or he knew in the 60s, um, one person, Michael Flanagan, who could have documented that time in Dublin and, and made films and did lots of photographs, you know, he was very accommodating with with providing pictures and uh, Roy Esmond who, who took sort of fashion sh shots of Philip in the late 60s for magazines had these great studio portraits of him some of which were in the book um, again he was you know he was very accommodating so again it's a question of just sort of trying to look beyond the obvious and the normal and things we've seen before and try and dig out something that's a bit different and, and in the later period Chalky Davis who, who was a fantastic and still is a fantastic professional photographer very good friend of Philip and a very good friend of Caroline um, 
you know, he again was very, very generous. He opened up his entire archives to me, and uh, there's a few shots that he had never allowed to be printed before that are in the book. So, it's it's it, to me, it's a very important part. You know, important part of the book is, is the visual aspect and getting that sense of a narrative. I think through all the pictures from the beginning right to the end, and it mirrors what's happening in the book. Yeah, I mean, and especially one of the ones that really just kind of sent chills when I looked at it was the the uh, picture of. Uh, Phil and Willie DeVille in the apartment mm. in New York. And, you, you know, you describe the, you know, all the events leading up to him being at that apartment and what happened there and all that. But then to see the picture, you know, just black and white like that was just your words, that picture, it, like I said, literally, it like sent chills up my spine. Good. Yeah, that, that, that was the intention. It really, that was, because I think, as, as I write in the book, that was a kind of pivotal time you know obviously things were happening around that but you can sort of that night was kind of symbolic i think of when things started to go a bit wrong philip and again that's a chalky davis poetry that never ever been seen before um he had to clear that with caroline his wife and and we all agreed that it was something that should be in the book because it's very vividly kind of captures the time when things started to go a little bit yeah. Pear-shaped. And, um, and what's interesting also about that is there's kind of that extra dimension in that picture as well, at least the way that I looked at it, and that you do see Philip and, and you see Willie DeVille, and, and, but in the background, you've got Scott Gorham, and it's almost like this kind of symbolic picture of, of that kind of that the music and, and all of that of, of Thin Lizzy is kind of going into the background for Phil, and he's moved, like been drawn into some other new thing that's really captured more of his, his interest than the actual music. That's kind of what I saw in that picture. That's great. I mean, that's a really interesting interpretation. And of course, it's also the time when he's sort of moving into different styles of music. You know, he was always so curious and so exploratory in his interests. And so it wasn't always just about hard rock or heavy metal you know there was so many interests and he was into new wave and punk around that time and then he was into sort of electronic music and he had this great curiosity which possibly didn't help in terms of his long-term career you know he was he was a dabbler in many ways in, in certain things and, and you see that there you know he's he's in he's in a new scene he's kind of involved with new people um so it does capture a lot of i think relevant things to his life at that time yeah no graham you would have Obviously, when you're researching the book, you would have read probably a lot of the books that were out about Phil's life. But as you got talking to these people and you and, and you were writing the book, was there anything that surprised you that you learned about Phil that maybe you, had, you didn't know before? Yeah, I mean, there were several things. You know, the, the, there's, there's suggestions in the book that he got into heavy drugs, hard drugs, much earlier than a lot of us surmised. You know, there were suggestions that he might have dabbled in it in the late 60s in Dublin, which was something that you know, surprised me. Um, there was a lot of stuff about, you know, his, his, the child that he gave up for adoption in the, in the, in the late 60s. You know, he had a child when he was very young mm-hmm. um, that he never, ever met and never knew. And, and I talked to the mother of the child and I talked to the child, Dara himself. And, and so that's a whole other facet, I think, to his psyche and, 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 and I think the things that weighed down on him and the things that got him down in his life, that was a very big one. And he never really told anyone about that child. It was, um, it was like a secret that he kept to himself. And I think it did weigh on him. Um, and all the things about his father, you know, um, there was lots of myths and, and uh, stories about his, his dad, who he also really didn't know very well. And I tried to sort of pick that story up from the very beginning and bring it right through to the end. You know, they did have contact in the 19. 19- 70s and they did sort of meet up a few times and you know i managed to track down his his father's second wife and and, and sort of bring that story to a conclusion and and i was very pleased about that because i think that rounds up another kind of mystery that was at the heart of philip's life and, and brings some clarity onto it yeah yeah definitely um yeah i mean i mean that must have been just a massive amount of research to to really pull that together because i think that is probably the most comprehensive bit of writing on that whole aspect of his life that probably anyone's ever done I think it probably is, yeah, and it was very important to me that I sort of didn't just go with with the myths. You know, it's very easy to go with the the myths because they're, ten- they're quite often they're very interesting and great stories. But but quite often the truth is slightly more prosaic, but maybe more revealing. And I didn't want to just leave this this idea that his dad was some you know Brazilian seafarer who just disappeared <laughs> and never came back. You know, he was actually a guy who 
who disappeared but was living in London and then they made contact and Philip's mother always kind of knew where he was I think and so there, there was a lot of secrets at the heart of his childhood and, yeah. and um, it was important to to shine some light on that because I think that was very important in the way it shaped his personality. Yeah and I think the other interesting part of it too is the fact that there's always at least what I've always understood was that you know essentially that you know that his father went off and, and just kind of left his mother but the fact that the, that you you know, right in the book, the fact that he had proposed to to Philip's mother and she said no. So it's kind of a, a lent an, a new dynamic to you know who his father was that I think a lot of people didn't know. I think so because his father then settled down and had, a, had you know and became a family man essentially mm. in, in London. So um, yeah, I mean, both his parents were were pretty wild. They were young and wayward, and they weren't the settling down type. I think, and it's. There are still things that can't be written about that because you know some of the people are still alive, thankfully, um, and it's very private. But but I wanted to give a flavour of I think the the really chaotic nature of his early life. It's, it's the first few years of his life, I think, were were really chaotic and, and difficult, and I, he never talked about them with anybody. And I, I do think there's uh, there's a real key to his his entire subsequent life from that point. In that, you know, I, I don't think he ever felt the stability really of a of a family life um, because he had such a turbulent one himself when he was very young. So, I, yeah, all that's important. Um, yeah. just, just to sort of strip away the myths and just clarify what exactly was going on. Right. But I do like that, you know, when you talk about the fact that Philip never really talked about all that, but the fact that in the book you do bring out that in a way he did talk about a lot of it and you give a lot of examples of, of things in songs where mm. it really does point back to earlier events in his life. Absolutely. You know, I mean, one of the great things about writing an authorized book is you can you can use the lyrics, you can quote the lyrics, you can you can really bring out of the work the stuff that is relevant to to life. And he was a very, I think, autobiographical writer, a very candid songwriter. You know, he used myths and he used um, characters to shine a light on his on what was happening in his own life. And those early songs, in particular, um, you know, the saga of the aging orphan and sort of beautiful songs like that, and Dublin and. Uh, there's a song called Philomena, um, Shades of a Blue Orphanage. These are all really beautiful songs that are very, very uh, revealing, I think, about how he felt about his mother and his father and himself and his wider family. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great. I, I love that when that happens, when you've, you feel a click in your head and you think, that, yes, you know, that this is it's sort of staring you in plain sight almost, you know, that, that someone is, is revealing so much about themselves, even as they're not talking about it to the people around them, but they're, they're channeling it into their work. And when you start, to, you start to get a sense of what the life was like and then you start to hear those songs in a different light, it's very satisfying. And I hope, you know, fans and readers get that same sense of kind of a penny dropping and suddenly thinking, yes, actually, this makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, so sometimes, Graham, when I hear the word authorised, um, I can look at the book before I even open it and think, okay, this is all going to be rose-tinted and a lot of people are going to have their hands in the pie here. Did they actually yeah. leave you alone and then you only showed the book when you'd actually written it? Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's exactly what And I, I completely share your misgivings about authorised books and it's, it's not something I would normally do. And as I said, I mean, I, I, I came to them. It's, it, wasn't, it wasn't that they wanted a certain kind of book written. I came to them and, yeah, I wrote the book. I handed in... Uh, my final manuscript and they didn't change a word um, nothing was asked to be taken out or put in or changed so it, it is entirely you know my work but it's it's got the input of the estate and it's got the, the blessing of the estate and I really commend them for that because as you know as, as you both read it it's, it's not a rose tinted view it's not a whitewash it's not a book that pulls any punches I think in terms of of his life and, and a lot of the dark things that went on in his life. At the same time, you know, I wanted to to also honor him. You know, I think he's an amazing songwriter, an amazing uh, creative mind, actually, and doesn't always get the the kudos he deserves, partly because of the way he presented himself. So I did, I did want to emphasize the artistic side of him, but at the same time as, you know, not shying away from the faults. So, um it is authorized, but I, I had a free hand, and, and I think it's a very honest book. Yeah. Now, Graham, did you ask Caroline to to do the the words at the end of the book? Because mm. it it must have been very satisfying for you because she's backing up everything that you've written more or less by saying, "Yeah, this sound this is more or less the way it happened." After after you've actually written the book, you know. 
that's right. That's exactly how it happened. She she read the book and then she wrote um, that really lovely. I mean, it's it's short, but I think it's incredibly heartfelt and it's very um, touching and honest uh, what she wrote at the end of the book. And yeah, it was satisfying for me because it it does you know it does say well this is how it was and um, you know she was around for a long time and. Uh, and there's no illusions about you know Philip. She was married to him and obviously had children with him, and she she loved him very much, and I think still does. But but she was under no illusions about the kind of person he was. So yes, to get that at the end was a lovely little sort of capper for the whole thing. And also, you know, I've had lots of great feedback from the people who contributed to the book once they read it. People like Jim Fitzpatrick, who was a great artist of Thin Lizzy, who did many of their album covers and and was hugely helpful and was really very touchingly. Uh, commended the book what once he'd read it and so that means a lot you know the people who knew him the best um seem to really feel that it's a, it's a full poetry often get feedback from like some of the people that uh you know that grew up with him that basically lost contact with him after he you know left dublin and, and was moving around in the world did, did you get any feedback from those folks yeah but feedback from all, all folks really i mean this everyone seems so they're still so in touch with philip in a way you know they always they all feel incredibly close to him even if they haven't seen him for a long time yeah. and even though it's 30 years since he died everyone uh, still has incredibly vivid memories of him, and very, mostly very positive memories of him. And they, you know, th- there's a great fondness for him. That's what really shone through virtually with everyone I spoke to is this incredible fondness for the guy that he was, and m- maybe not the guy he was right at the end, where there was a lot of sadness about kind of how he ended up. But what was most vivid was was what an amazingly funny and and kind and and alive person he was and that shone through even for people who hadn't seen him since the late 60s and um and i suppose that accentuates the sadness of the end you know it makes people feel even more keenly the the loss that 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 it was that that he, he ended up the way he did because um he wasn't an archetypal kind of drug casualty that wasn't who he was that wasn't really the way his life was mapped out, you know, and, and so it was It was very sad it ended that way, but um, yeah, no, the feedback's great, it's always great to hear from people who who knew someone and they say, yeah, you, you got it, you know, his manager Chris O'Donnell wrote me a very lovely note saying he'd read it in, I think he even beat you, he read it in one night um, and was, you know was was tearful, but, but very kind of uh, complimentary about what he felt was a very honest portrait of the person that he knew, and, and that's in many ways the best feedback of all. Sure, yeah 
you know, I, I, I you know, read that book and, and I, the, all the, the detail and the effort and all of that. I mean, how much time did this actually take you to, to get all this together, Graham? Well, it takes a while. Yeah, it, I mean, it takes usually it takes sort of eighteen months to two years, really, to from start to finish to to pull it together. Um, I mean, the writing does not take as long as that, of course. But you know, you need to get interviews and you need to read a lot around the subject and watch a lot and listen a lot, which is probably the most fun part is just revisiting all that great music, you know, and, and um, hearing some stuff that you maybe haven't heard before. Um, so it's a long process. And as I said, you kind of end up living it. You know, you really get stuck into it and you get immersed in the whole life and the, uh, and, and the music. And that's why I mean, the last section, the section was incredibly hard to write because I, I felt it really quite vividly and, and quite painfully what this guy was going through and what the people around him were going through. And, and those sort of couple of months when I was writing that were, were tough because you know how, you know, the, the story's there. You know how it's going to end. You can't right. change the ending of it. And you're sort of hurtling towards this inevitable and pretty bleak con- conclusion. And, and you have to find a way of trying to, you know, communicate it as well as possible. So it's a big undertaking. And it's, you know, it's why I don't, I would never write a book about somebody who I didn't, have a pretty strong affinity with and, and their music because I think it would be it wouldn't be much fun if you were writing about somebody who you didn't really admire or you didn't feel had a great amount of creative strength so um, it, it's a pleasurable thing but it's, it's hard work It was a rainy night The night the king went down Everybody was crying Seemed like sadness had surrounded the town Me, I went to the liquor store And I bought a bottle of wine and a bottle of gin I played his records all night Drinking with a close, close friend Now some people say that that ain't right, that ain't right. And some people say nothing at all But even in the darkest of night you can always hear the king call You can always hear the king call Well, they put him away in Memphis Six feet beneath the clay Everybody was crying Everybody said it was a plain great day I went to the liquor store And I bought another bottle of wine And another bottle of gin I played his records all night And I got drunk all over again Now some people say that that ain't right That ain't right And some people say nothing at all I say nothing But even in the darkest of night You can always hear the key call You can always hear the key you know, my takeaway on it was that, you know, you, you read a lot of times, like like Richie said, like an authorized biography, and you just kind of get a sense of this was a job somebody did. You know, they're just they're just going ahead. They're just doing a trade book and they're moving on. But I mean, your book really read as something where your like your mission was to really know the man. And it comes through in the book. Great. Well, that, that's that's fantastic. That's exactly true. I mean, I I started like I, I would I start writing writing it like I would start reading it. You know, I start with this. I want to know about this person. I really really want to find out what made this person tick. I want to know how he wrote the Boys of Back in Town. You know, I want to know why he covered Whiskey in the Jar. I, I want to understand how he wrote those amazing words and yet, you know, looked like this kind of cartoon rock and roll star. How does that fit together, that that amazing sort of poetic mind and this um, almost stereotypical sort of um, wild man? So all these questions are in my head and I'm not satisfied really until I, I get I get an adequate answer to them from writing the book. And, and often I write books because there isn't a book there to read that, that would answer those questions. So... Um, it's never just a kind of a, a, a few months of knocking it out and then getting on to the next one. And I feel always, always feel very drained at the end of it. And it takes a long time to, you know, I finished this in the autumn of last year and I, I haven't started anything else since because it just takes a while to get out of your system, you know. And um, 
So I'm glad you take away, well, away that from it. It's, it's supposed to be in-depth and it's supposed to try and leave the reader with a, with a very kind of clear understanding or at least a sense of what this person was all about. Mm. You know, and as a musician, one of the interesting things that, uh, that really I took away from the book as well is the fact that, you know, you always think of, of Phil Lynn as being like this kind of a more or less a, like a bass prodigy kind of like an effortless thing for him to go up and sing and play bass and and you read the book and and you now you really get a sense of the fact that you know he he did bass because he felt like okay that's what i need to do but he struggled with it and he really had to try and that it took two different influences to really get him to where he needed to go with, with bass and then the whole idea of the way that he that his playing was dictated by the fact that he also had to sing as well and and being in bands and trying to play like bass parts and then also try to sing a thin lizzie song it was always like i'm approaching it the way i approach every other song and now i understand okay this is why it was so damn hard is because he was approaching it in a totally different way necessitated by his own inability on the instrument at that time absolutely you know he was he, he really struggled um he wasn't a natural musician in many ways. I'm not a natural performer, actually. That, that's another thing that I learned writing the book, is how hard he worked to be this incredible, charismatic frontman, you know, this general leading the army, which he was at the, at the height of Dan Lizzie, this incredibly powerful presence. Um, went against his, the grain of his nature, really. You know, he was quite a shy person, and in the early days of the band, he could barely speak to the audience or look at them. He was, he, he was huddled away, you know, staring at his shoes. So he put a huge amount of conscious effort into, yes, as you say, learning the bass and, and structuring these songs so that they would work, especially live, because that's really what Thin Lizzy were all about most of the time was communicating live, but also how these gestures, and it's very hard, I think, to, to be a front man with, stuck behind a bass. It's hard. You can't strut around the stage in the same way as someone who doesn't play an instrument. But he learned how to do, you know, just with the fist in the air or the... The, the mirrored scratch plate which would send these beams over the crowd or just the small gestures lit in the right way and, and communicated at the right time had this profound effect on the audience so he, he was a really he really thought about what he did and maybe that's something that, that surprised me before I, I wrote it how much conscious effort he put into to the band and, and to being a front man yeah so final question for me Graham before we leave you go um, you you said you approached them about writing the book on Phil. So you obviously have like a wish list of guys you want to write books about. Like who who would you like to write about next? Um, I'm not. <laughs> I've got a, I've got someone in mind, but I'm not going to say because it, it, it could kind of curse it. And I always <laughs> uh, I'm always wary until things are sort of signed up. But it's a fairly short list. I will say that you know, and and it's not always about the music, although I think there has to be something in the music that really tugs at you, as it did with 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 Philip, you know, something about the songwriting or the sensibility, which is, which is, it's got some substance to it and you can really get your teeth stuck into it. Um, but also, the, you know, the life, and I think there has to be some sense of an interesting life. And I think just writing about a band that had a fairly ordinary trajectory or an artist who had a fairly ordinary trajectory wouldn't really interest me. It, it's, it's the way that the work reflects on the life and, and vice versa that, that I think is, is what you can get a substantial book out of. And I'm not sure there's many people around who, who haven't had maybe big books written about them already mm. that fit into that criteria. So, um, sorry, that's not a very satisfying answer, is it? But, but that's all you're going to get at the moment. But, but there will be, you know, there will be a couple of people who I'd like to write about and, and hopefully by the end of this year there might be something afoot. Great. Well, Obviously, um, when you, you do get you know the next one out, uh, we would we'd love to have you come back on and, and talk about it. You know, part of the reason that people do listen to the show is that uh, besides you know albums, we also you know talk to authors and and let them know about books they may not be aware are out there. And this is certainly one of those ones that I think tons and tons of people would love to read. And uh, just you know, a lot of times publishers they don't they don't spend the money promoting it. So we like to let people know whenever there's something that's that's great like this out there. And I'd also say that I mean, there's been like Richie said, there's tons of thin of you know Phil Linnet or Thin Lizzy books out there, but I don't think any of them have done the justice to the man that that yours did. And so even if there's a you know someone you're thinking about that had a, already has you know a book or two written about him, I, I have a feeling that uh, you know if you do the same thing, it's going to be a, a much better read than. Uh, kind of the average uh, trade book well thank you that, that's that's really kind and i really appreciate uh, 
you given me the time to, to talk about it and uh, and for you reading it and enjoying it. It means a lot to me, so thank you. Yeah, it's Thanks. an amazing book, Graham. Well done. Thank you very much. It's really kind. All right, so have a, have a good, good have a good rest of the night. And you. Cheers, All right. guys. All right, thank <laughs> you, Graham. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.
All right, there you go. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed that interview. And uh, thanks again, Richie, for setting that up. Yeah, get the book. You, yeah. you won't be disappointed. You really won't. Yeah, literally two days. First first two sections, one day, and then read the next section the uh, following morning. Uh, yeah, it's the best music biography I've read in years, Yeah, I think. For comp- for, for like, I love the band, but there's so much in this you learn about the man. Uh-huh. And I thought that's what really stood yeah. out to me. Just an amazing read. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, def- absolutely good stuff. Uh, even if you weren't a Thin Lizzy fan, if you just like biographies, you'd like this. Hmm. You know, it just it just reads really well, and uh, you just there's there's a definite you know human element beyond just the music. So hmm. very cool. Yeah, well, why do I keep asking the dumb question at the end about what they're doing next? Because I should know now by asking Joel. Uh huh. That he's probably he's working on eight books and he can't tell me about any of them. And I even asked Graham the same question and and he couldn't tell me. But I hope it's a rock orient. I hope it's yeah. about a rock guy because yeah. well, if if you you know, I'll I'd probably read anything he he brings out now. But you know, I hope it's a rock guy he writes about next so we can have him on again because right. if it's a guy in the pop genre or whatever, like we're not going to bring him on. Yeah. Well, we we might get him on and talk. He's to not going to write about like Robert Smith. <laughs> the cure, from the cure, yeah. I, I, All Morrissey. Yeah, I think at this stage, a lot of the books that a guy like him is probably are, like they're going to approach are probably guys from the eighties and the seventies because yeah. this, with the internet now, a lot of the information is out there. There's not as much of a story, but a lot of it's wrong too, or half-ass, or biased, or whatever else is. This seemed pretty unvarnished, which was which was very nice. Well, if you, you look at his books, George Harrison, Kate Bush, now Phil, yeah, they're all seventies and eighties. Well, George is sixties, yeah, but they're all old guys, yeah, and girls. Yeah, I was gonna say Kate's not a guy, <laughs> but um, yeah, that Kate Bush book might be interesting because there's not <laughs> a lot known about her. Yeah, well, like I said again, a great author. Um, definitely on a roll with with uh, with authors here on the show. Um, it's pretty nice to be developing a network of of these guys who are really high quality authors that like to talk. Yeah, you know, definitely. So I think that's I think that's very cool. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll have them on again. And and the other thing too, I mean, it's not a dumb question because sometimes you know we ask it and they may not say it on the interview, but for off air, they will tell us. Who they're working on? Yeah, but I that's mean, Joel's we know, done that. Yeah, well, jo- we know, you know Joel Graham. We don't know Graham, right. so yeah, he, he, I'm sure he has a wish list. But the, one of the great things that he said in the interview was this one definitely left a mark on him. That yeah. he literally had to walk away from writing a book after read after writing this yeah. one. It was so exhaustive on him. Yeah. So if you take anything away from the book yourself after reading it, you can imagine what it was like for him to actually write it, right? Because it really did affect him. Yeah. And I think that was a great, a great thing that he explained. But um, just before I go, um, I just finished reading Mick Wall's Lemmy biography. Uh-huh. And that's another amazing read. It, that's very akin to an autobiography because he, Mick has an, an experience with Lemmy that goes way, way back. Right. And he's talked to him for hours and hours and hours about his career. So he's literally writing his autobiography posthumously. Right. And, um, and if anyone's a fan of the way Mick writes... He really does get the essence of Lemmy in the book. It's a great read. So that's just another book that right. I want to get out there that people should definitely right. buy. Because we'll probably not have Mick on because we've never had any success uh, tried. with him. We've tried a couple but, of times. It's never worked. Like, like three or four times now? Yeah, but it's <laughs> he's, he's, he's wanted to come on and for some reason the gods just yeah. don't want to make it happen. He even said it to me himself in an email that we, we, had, we, were, we were down here one Friday night. We were all set to go. I think it was second or third time to do it. And he got sick. Uh-huh. And he, an email came in the next day apologizing. He literally went like, Let's, it's not going to happen. It's just <laughs> something that seems to be against us. So, so we leave it go. But I'll still read his books. Oh, he's yeah. an amazing author. He's, he's a great author, yeah. And um, I mean, his own autobiography, that was a little like, eh. I didn't like how that one read. But other ones he's written, been great. Well, he's got another... One I, I just picked it up to get your rocks off. That's uh-huh. kind of a, that's a memoir as well, but a lot of stories in that. So yeah. I love reading about that because there's that time pre-internet that you know uh-huh. you just want to get back there a little bit and yeah. experience it and yeah. you know and uh, mixed mixed great at doing that. Pulls no punches, but we could talk all day. I don't have time. No, <laughs> I know. All right, so uh, 
That's a wrap for this week. Um, as usual, keep up with us at uh, focusonmetal.net, focusonmetal.blogspot.com. Richie's always pitching out the questions on Facebook, so you can uh, always reach out to him on there, as well as uh, keeping up with us on the Twitters. So uh, for myself and Richie, uh, have yourselves a good metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, read the book and remember. Focus on metal. Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.